The Lord be with you. Friends, today we are looking at this weird and interesting passage that was just read. And I can't remember a time when it was preached from before growing up, but I can almost guarantee that if I did hear it preached from, it would have come with a hefty dose of warning and been reduced to a moralistic tale. This is the way that I was brought up to read scripture. But I'm learning to approach it with different eyes, and as I'm learning to do that, I notice something else in this text that drew me in. I don't think it's here as a warning. I think it's here as an invitation. It's inviting us to take a closer look, to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is by comparison. So today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is who he shows us he is, not who we confuse him to be. A few days ago, I was on a walk, and I was thinking through and processing some things, and I had my phone out because I'd been taking a note about something, and I dropped it. And I have a protective screen on it, fortunately, but as I picked it up, I saw that it um, was cracked and had some scuff marks on it, and my immediate reaction was to think, I need to get this fixed as soon as possible because now it doesn't look good. (laughs) And I just put it in my pocket and kept going on. And a few paces later, I started to tear up because I realized that the way I just reacted to my phone is the same way I react when I am cracked and broken. I think that It's been ingrained in my psyche from a young age that in order to be a good Christian, you have to have everything lined up just so. And that to be a good witness, you have to look good for other people so you can show them how good Jesus is. But following this path of being a good Christian does a couple devastating things to us. It fractures us off from parts of ourselves, leaving us wounded and divorced from who Jesus actually is. And it can make us complacent in a broken system that has a misconstructed idea of him. I'm starting to become more aware of the moments I find myself trying instead of just being. As I learn about who Jesus actually is instead of this character sketch of him that has been painted for me. It's not easy. For me, it entails unwinding years of misinformation about Jesus. It's tied up in all kinds of false beliefs and teachings imposed on me from the time I was young. So today in this passage we're we're talking about, it begins like this, that King Herod had heard about Jesus, had heard this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying he was John the Baptist and had been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers were at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But friends, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is who he shows us he is, not who we confuse him to be. This text begins with people being confused about who Jesus is, and it follows this tale of Herod beheading John the Baptist. But I don't think it's here just to give us this historical reference about the demise of John. 
because it comes out of nowhere. It's a flashback, an interruption in the narrative. So why is the story here, and why does it matter to us right now at this specific moment? To give us a better idea of this, we need to look at what it's framed by. It's actually bookended by two stories. One of them being, immediately before this, it's Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. And immediately after this, it's the feeding of the 5,000. So here we have Jesus sending out people to teach and drive out demons and heal. And here we have Jesus hosting an impromptu dinner party for thousands of people. And sandwiched between these two tales is this tale about Herod. And there are so many disturbing things in this story. It's a story of manipulation, of violence and abuse of power. There's this veil of depravity over it, and it has bad news written all over it. And I think all of these are clues as to why this story might be here and might be important for us to notice. And there are two things that I want to draw our attention to in this story, the dinner party and the dance. So here we have Herod hosting this exclusive banquet where he invites his powerful friends and they get drunk. And then his wife sends in her teenage daughter to do what can only be assumed as an erotic dance for all of these drunken men, and it gets raucous approval from them. Herod's pleads with her performance, and he offers her the whole world, or in his language, up to half of his kingdom. He offered her anything she wanted, flaunting his power and his ability to give her practically anything. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist. And the text, it says that Herod was grieved by this because he had, there's a reason he hadn't killed John. He hadn't wanted to kill him yet. But he felt like he had to, to impress his dinner guest. He had put himself in a position where he had made an oath, which in those days was something that was, couldn't be broken. It was considered irrevocable. He felt like he had no way out. So out of regard for his oath and his own reputation, he decided, he decided to show his power and authority and grant the girl's request. He had the power to refuse her, but he couldn't withstand the embarrassment of doing so. The other thing that's interesting about this story is it mirrors the one that we heard in our Old Testament reading today of the David dancing and the girl seeing him. We see an echo of this familiar story, and the people of, the, of this, when this was written, would have been really familiar with that. They knew their Old Testament readings. When they read this, they would have, their mind would have been going back to that story about David and the girl. And as they were already in this comparing and contrasting mindset, perhaps they would have started comparing and contrasting other things as well. Like the Feast of Herod and the Feast of Jesus. And maybe that's why the story is located right here. To seal in our minds a picture of who Jesus is by comparison. Because Jesus is who he shows us he is, not who we confuse him to be. This story gives us a firsthand example of the stark contrast between Jesus and the ruler of that day. 
Here we have Herod, who is a selfish, immoral, debased, political opportunist. In comparison, we have Jesus, who is peaceful and humble and a servant and a healer. King Herod couldn't be a more striking contrast to Jesus. In this story of depravity, the character who's not mentioned but steals the show is Jesus. When I read this story, I can't help but compare it to the Christ I become familiar with in the passages that surround it. The man who heals bleeding women and little girls instead of using them for his own pleasure. The man that breaks bread with a multitude of people instead of adding the powerful that will further his political aspirations. The man who is mocked, publicly shamed, and broken for us instead of the man who can't bear to lose face and wants to impress the people at his dinner party. Jesus bared the ridicule of the world and still does all for love. Herod couldn't do it for an evening. So the story highlights the good news of Jesus by comparison. Herod operates in exclusivity, lust, greed, power, and pride. Jesus stands in a posture of welcoming and abundance. He extends an invitation for all to come, sick and healthy, strong and broken, everyone come. Anyone can get into the kingdom of God indiscriminately. I've seen a lot of artistic depictions of Jesus throughout my life. A lot of them have this Middle Eastern man who is white and oftentimes Swedish. Um, but one of my favorite depictions of him is called the Eisenheim Altarpiece. It was painted by a German artist in the 1500s, and it was the central object of devotion at a monastery that served as a hospital. The monks devoted themselves to care for the sick and dying, many of whom were plague sufferers or were suffering from skin, other types of skin diseases. The altarpiece is made of these wooden panels, and at the center of them is a picture of the crucified Christ. In this image, his body is emaciated and disfigured. His limbs are twisted and contorted. His hands are writhing in agony, and his skin has this greenish hue to it. It looks like it's developing sepsis, and it's pitted with plague-type sores. Christ's presence in this picture is at once horrifying and compelling. And this painting mirrors the physical and emotional suffering of these hospital patients. The entire altarpiece is this tribute to human suffering. It is the most beautiful, ugly painting you will ever see, and it's a tortured masterpiece. And it's completely contradictory to the high Renaissance works at that time, most of that artwork at that time showed a Christ that was resplendent and healthy and godlike. In this piece, Christ is not glowing and gilded with gold. His body is riddled with sores and in blatant agony. And can you imagine being one of those sick at that time with your own body covered in sores and seeing a reflection of your own agony and toil on the body and face of your crucified Christ? This grotesque depiction showed them that Jesus not only understood and shared their afflictions, 
but he wore them as his own. He isn't just king to the healthy and wealthy and privileged. He's king to the sick and broken and dejected. And that's why our good news today is Jesus is who he shows us he is, not who we confuse him to be. Jesus often gets airbrushed with earthly standards of power and beauty. We assign to him attributes of Herod and confuse him with, and, and condense him into moralistic tales of shoulds and shouldn'ts. We accept Christ the victor and are slower to recognize him as the man who shares our wounds with us. I am trying to learn the practice of unveiling my areas of brokenness. To not just believe, but to go through the transformation and live it out in my life. As an abstract concept, I'm really into Jesus, our wounded healer, who sits in our sin and suffering with us. But in the reality of my daily life, I'm less likely to actually want to sit in that sin and suffering with him. I'm waging war in my own heart against the the concepts I've adopted, and I'm slowly trying to unravel them. And I'm wondering what it would look like to serve a Christ who fought for the marginalized, who welcomed everybody to the table to break bread with him, who enlisted himself as a champion to to those others overlooked, who loves you for who you are exactly as you are, who doesn't say you have to have everything together so you can make him look good. He's not scared of our brokenness because he's willing to sit in it with us, and he wants to do that. So my question today is, where do you have misconstructed ideas of who Jesus is? And where are you feeling trapped by the views that others have imposed on you of who he is? And what is he trying to show you about himself? For me, he's trying to show me what it looks like for me to be willing to sit in my brokenness with him, that he's going to show up there and I need to too so we can do the transformative work together. And he's there waiting for me. All I have to do is show up as well. He isn't a dictator, dictator who bullies his way about to get what he wants. He doesn't use and abuse people for his own pleasure. And he never overlooks the suffering or the silent wounded who walk through the doors of churches every Sunday in mute despair. Jesus is who he shows us he is, not who we confuse him to be. And he wants to show you who he is. He wants to show you in the midst of your disappointments and doubts, in your fear and anger and in your pain and grief. So, as we move into this time of liturgical 
response as in, in communal response. I had a really hard time figuring out how to wrap this up because it really pushed against where I'm at right now in my area of wanting to look good and it just it pushed so much up against my own areas of brokenness. And I kept asking God, if I have these misconstrued ideas of who you are, what does it mean to start untangling those? What do I need to see? So if you look in our booklet, our prayer response is just going to be asking God to show us. And it's going to go, Christ, I need you to show me who you are. I sometimes struggle to see it because. And you can fill in whatever the reason is that you struggle to see it. And then you'll say, Lord, in your mercy. And then together we'll say, hear our prayer. And we'll pray that for each other and with each other 